This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Let's take a second to thank today's sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is by far the absolute easiest way to make a podcast. And when I say easy, I mean easy. First of all, it's completely free and there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit right from your phone or your computer. Best of all, with Anchor, you can add any songs from Spotify directly to your episodes. So the possibilities are endless on what you can create. Whether you want to create a music analysis, your own radio show, a deep dive on your favorite genre or artist, or something that the world's never heard before. Anchor will even help publish your show to Spotify so you can reach hundreds of millions of listeners. Oh, did I mention there's no copyright on the songs? Yeah, it's that easy. You guys want to start a podcast that includes music, or you guys just want to start a podcast in general, get started by downloading the free Anchor app or going to anchor.fm. And if you need some inspiration, you can head over to blog.anchor.fm slash music from some more idea starters. Thank you so much, and let's get into the episode. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ziamo, a fitness platform that gives people unlimited access to gyms across the country. Their mission is to make it easy for users to find and access gyms no matter their location, which is perfect for those always on the go. You guys know me and you know I am always traveling, but if you guys follow me on Instagram or watch my vlogs on YouTube, you know that my workouts don't stop just because I'm on the go and Ziamo makes it so easy easy for you to find gyms which I think is honestly my favorite part because when I'm on the go I'm still working and being productive for me involves going to the gym I feel like it just puts me in a really good headspace and it just sets up my day to be even more productive when I get a good sweat in the morning so if you guys are traveling a lot or you live in a place and you want to have gym instant gym access then definitely check out Ziamo and that way you never have to break your morning routine because you have gym access no matter where you are. You can use my code BARBU50 at checkout for 50% off day passes to gyms wherever you're located. So be sure to check out this amazing deal. So seriously, be sure to check it out because it is such a good deal. So that's BARBU50 at checkout and then you get 50% off day passes to gyms wherever you are located. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Real Real Podcast with Natalie Barbu. Instagram might be your highlight reel, but we're here to talk about the real real. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. In today's episode, I am interviewing a financial advisor, which has been very, very requested. And also, I asked you guys on the Facebook page what questions you guys had for him. So you guys were very, very involved in this one. I took questions directly from the Facebook page and a lot of themes that I saw in the questions, I kind of asked... Um, to get a more broad answer but we get very specific it's just a really great episode super informative and also a fun episode it's don't worry it's not like a very boring episode where all we talk about is i mean yes we do talk about finances but i want you to feel like you're in the room it's not just like a lecture it's actually a very fun conversation and i don't know i just think that this is something we need to be talking about i as much as i love talking about other topics and i like talking about makeup and fashion and I like talking about being a business owner and all of that stuff I think that it's also important to actually sit down and get serious about your finances and I don't know I'm, I'm really excited to to have this on I want to always be as helpful as possible on my podcast not just entertaining I want to be informative as well as entertaining but I this is a little bit of both because the conversation was fun but you definitely do learn a lot and before we get into the episode I wanted to thank the reviewer of the week and if you guys like this episode find it helpful please be sure to review it on iTunes 
that would mean so much to me. So the review of the week comes from Camilla and she says, oh my gosh, Natalie, I love this podcast. I just found it from her YouTube channel. I started watching her when she moved to New York. I've watched all of her New York City vlogs and now I want to move to New York. I feel like that's just such a cute comment. So thank you so much. I try reading all of the reviews on as like one of my reviewer of the week so thank you so much Camilla for saying those words and for also watching me on my YouTube channel because I love when I have people that watch me on YouTube and also listen to the podcast I think it's a cool cool way to get um that you guys are so like involved in all of my platforms but if you guys didn't know I do have a YouTube channel where I daily vlog or try to daily vlog um and I upload twice a week so if you guys want to check it out there's more information on finances and business tips and just everyday New York City life and living on there I don't know why I'm so out of breath I just walked up the stairs so (laughs) bear with me guys anyways I don't want this intro to be longer than it already is so let's just get into the podcast Hi, Gideon. Thanks so much for coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me. So we are going to jump right into setting the record straight. So this is just where I'm going to say some assumptions and stereotypes uh, and just some, some, honestly, some questions that a lot of people were asking. And then you're going to say if it's true or false. Okay, awesome. So the first one is you should start investing as early as possible. Absolutely, definitively true. I'm going to go with the sooner we start in every level of our Mm -hmm. financial planning, whether it's investing, saving, just having an idea of what our goals are and what we're hoping to achieve the better it's all going to be down the road. 18 is better than 28, which is better than 38. So absolutely. When did you start investing? So I started, uh, so just a little background. So I spent, I went to Lehigh University right out of high school. Mm -hmm. And then I served two years in the Israeli military as a paratrooper. And believe it or not, I had very little time for financial planning, investing, or anything like that (laughs) during my service. So I wasn't so much involved at that point. But really, as soon as I started working, um, making money and focused on what what I wanted to achieve later on, is when I started investing. So really, as soon as it made sense to, as soon as I was able yeah. to. Okay, awesome. And people should focus on paying off any debt as quick as possible before they think about investing. All right, so I'm going to go with 50% true there. Um, you know, debt is the worst thing when it comes to financial planning and building a plan. Debt is just, it's an anchor. It's a weight around your shoulders. But I do think it's important to think about that if you have credit card debt, student loans especially, you want to make sure there's some savings built up, that there's mm-hmm. some cash cushion. Because what I find too much when I'm sitting down with clients is they're so committed to paying off that debt that they have very little in reserve. They may only have $1,000, $5,000 in the bank. And then the next time something comes up, like an emergency, they get laid off, something's wrong with their home, mm-hmm. something they need money quickly for, they're going back into debt quicker because they don't have that cash cushion. So I think it really is a balance between paying off debt and saving money to make sure that you're not continuing the pattern later on. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And the next one is investing in the stock market is better than investing in real estate. Wow. So I'm going to go. It absolutely depends yeah. on who you are. I know kind of a cop out answer. I apologize. No, that's but... honestly all these questions are always it depends. Yes and no. Like, right. So let's just like say that. with a caveat that really financial planning boils down to what your goals are. Mm-hmm. So with literally all of these questions and they're all great questions, but it really does come back to well, what are we trying to achieve? Are we trying to buy a house in five years? Are we trying to send our kids if they exist yet? to school in 18 or 20 years? Is it more focused on retirement? Um, I think both have a place in a well-balanced, diversified portfolio of how we can be investing money. Um, Like diversification is kind of a buzzword, right? Like in financial planning, investments, everything you see. And we want to keep it pretty simple. Diversification means not owning enough of any one thing to get killed by it or to make a killing from it. Yeah. So real estate stocks, I think they both kind of fit in that we want to have a balanced approach. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you need to have at least three months of expenses in an emergency fund. 100%, absolutely. Uh, we would def- I would say, let's get six months. 
okay. of living expenses in the bank. And then I think more than just how much we want to have in the bank, it becomes about what your comfort level is. Mm. I meet with clients or prospective clients all the time that they say, hey, if I don't have 50000 100000 sitting in the bank, even if it's not making me money, it's not doing anything, it lets me sleep at night. Yeah. It lets me be comfortable. And for them, I say, cool, that's how much we always want to make sure you have mm-hmm. in the bank. Because so much of what we're talking about, financial planning, investing, saving, it's an emotional thing. It's the way we feel about money. It's the way we grew up feeling about money. So long-winded answer, but three months is nice, but it really comes down to how much you think you need to have there for your goals in the, yeah. in the near term. Do you recommend people that are self-employed to have more or just because it is a little more unpredictable or is it just everyone should have like three, six months? Yeah, I think it's just something you have to be more cognizant cognizant about if you're yeah. a 1099 employee or self-employed that, yeah, there are going to be some months that are awesome and you're mm-hmm. pulling in all the money more than you could have expected. And then there are some months that maybe are lighter for whatever reason. Yeah. And the more we can have a systematized approach to be saving money in those, you know, in those months when you're crushing it, yeah. it allows you to not be as stressed and be more comfortable on those later months. So absolutely, I think you need more of a cushion if you're in you know, more of a variable type industry. Yeah, yeah. And now just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Cool. Well, I like the intro of just getting right into it. Yeah. Just, now I'm like, like, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm engaged and I'm, I'm comfortable already. Yeah, so, it makes people also already engaged. You know, like it makes people want to know you after they've already heard you talk. Right. I already had the answer about stocks or real estate right mm-hmm. off the bat. So anything I say after this is Perfect. all good. <laughs> so um, so my name is Gideon Drucker. I'm a third generation wealth advisor at my family's firm. And I'm, I actually have a book. It's coming out. This Friday, hopefully by the time this pod is out. Yeah, it'll be out. It'll be be in the show notes. We'll be actually out. And it's called How to Avoid Henry Syndrome. And Henry, for those of you who don't know, is a high earner that's not rich yet. And really, most of my clients, most of whom I'm sitting down with, are 25 to 45. And they're making good money. They're living comfortably, doing what they want. But they're not really getting any closer to achieving their financial goals. Again, that Mm -hmm. can mean buying a house or changing careers or starting a family. Um, my dad would want me to say, so my dad's our current president and CEO. He's been running the firm for like 35 years now. And his definition of a Henry is if you're making good money, six figures, but you're still on your parents' Netflix or cell phone yeah. bill, <laughs> then 100% he would qualify you as a Henry. That's also probably a personal shot at my sister Gabby and I, but, uh, but it, it does make sense and resonates a little bit as well with me. So, um, so that's really our focus and you know, why we're speaking now. I know a lot of your audience is younger. And most important thing I could say is getting started. The earlier, mm-hmm. the better. Um, regardless of what exactly that means, we want to get started you know, in that way. And I think you're going to be really well set up for the future. If yeah, you do that. no, definitely. And what was your degree at school? So I actually studied international relations at, um, at university. I went to Lehigh, like I said. And uh, basically, my, da- my plan was always to come into the family business. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandpa started in 1959. I grew up going to events and seminars and workshops with my dad. And I just I love the idea of growing a business by helping friends and family and helping them achieve their financial goals as you're doing the same. So I always knew I wanted to go into the business. In college, my dad said, study what you like, really what you learn in college. And it's not really applicable for personal planning. You know, you need to be in, you need to be meeting with people face to face to really get an understanding of how to do it. So I majored in international relations because I love politics. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. And then um, I got my series seven while I was still in college. Took like one semester of a science course my entire senior year. What's a Series 7? So that's to be able to manage investments, oh, stock, okay. stock bonds, a okay. securities license. And then right after the Army, I got my CFP, um, which is basically the highest, des- highest designation for financial planners that you can get. And I really, I wanted to do that as soon as I possibly could. Right. Uh, just because anybody can call themselves a financial advisor, quite frankly. But mm-hmm. you're dealing with people's goals, their finances, their plans for the rest of their life. 
it was really important to me that I actually could back it up as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, everybody looking for an advisor, you know, you want them to be a fiduciary or a CFP yeah. or just, you know, make sure that it's a career. It's a life for them. It's not just a passing phase. Yeah, so that was definitely. important to me. And since you did grow up in a family that obviously had this company, was a, had a financial planning company, how did you grow up with money? Like, what was your relationship with money when you were younger then? Yeah, and I think that's a great question because, honestly, I ask that to every prospective new client that mm-hmm. comes in is, how did you grow up, you know, were your parents, grandparents, whoever, were they successful? Were they well off? Was money like an open conversation? Was it a struggle? Did you know nothing about what was going what was going on behind closed doors? Mm-hmm. And I, I just think everybody has a relationship to money that's unique, that maybe makes us uncomfortable. Again, it could be emotional. So, yeah, I grew up everything was on the table. My family is pretty open about everything, especially money. So growing up, I knew what we were saving and, you know, what was important versus what was just, we wanted to do this and just being open. And my parents really didn't hide stuff from us. I think it just made my sister Gabby and I really comfortable that as soon as we were able to, we wanted to start working and start saving and talking about money, talking about investments never scared us because it was on the table, irrespective Mm -hmm. of how much money they may have had. And we grew up fortunate but I think even more fortunate was about the openness. My sister and I started a tennis teaching business when we were in uh, juniors in high school, which ended up being like the coolest job ever. All my yeah. friends were working like 10 hour days at like a bagel shop or what have you. And I was three, four hours of teaching you know, local kids tennis. And I think it, that even came about because I learned having your own business, you know, as hard as you want to work is how much you can provide and just the value you can bring to people. And I think in a lot of ways, it just opened it up. I'll say the counterpoint to all of that one of my earliest clients, he came to me and he's still in law school, which you're not making any money in law school. Yeah. He still had a ways away before we were really going to get started planning. So I said, you know, buddy, like, why are we talking? Like, you have another year or two before we're really going to be able to help or do anything. And his whole mission, why he was so committed to having this conversation is his family, they did well. They lived pretty lavishly. Mm-hmm. They can pretty much do whatever they wanted. And as he got older and older, he realized his parents were going to be working because of how much money they spent till he was 70 80, they weren't going to be able to step off the wheel. And for my buddy, it was really important that he, you know, he got set up early. So he was never in a position at, you know, at the mercy of his income. Yeah. He wanted to know, hey, when I step off the wheel, when I want to retire, I'm going to be able to and live the life I want. I'm not going to just be spending money each year. So I think for all of us, good or bad, it absolutely affects the way we think about that stuff moving forward. Yeah. And you're so open about having a financial plan and how important it is to have a financial plan. So why do you think it's so important to start early? And what age do you think you should start? Like 18 or maybe when you get your first job or? Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. 
Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. I just wanted to take a quick break to thank TM Soft's White Noise Sleep Sounds for sponsoring today's episode. Are you having trouble sleeping, focusing, or relaxing? If the answer is yes, then TM Soft's White Noise Sleep Sounds podcast has got you covered. This hour-long podcast is made to help you get rid of distractions, reduce stress, relax, and get better sleep. You can listen to the sounds of nature, white noise, relaxing music, and so much more. You can check out the TM Soft's White Noise Sleep Sounds podcast on Spotify or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Yeah, so I think, I mean, first off, education is power. Mm-hmm. I just think there's never a downside to knowing more about how to, you know, what does a Roth IRA mean and what is a savings account and how does compound interest work over time? So I think the earlier, if you have an interest in that, I think that's only going to be a good thing. Uh, but as far as having a plan or even having an advisor and what that could look like, when you're in a position that you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm making some decent money, and I'm not exactly sure what to do with it. I'm not exactly sure if I'm on track to hit my goals. Mm-hmm. That would, you know, that's really the question that we want to answer for every client. A lot of people come to us and they might say, I have this investment. I have this savings. Can you look over it? And we can do that and we can look over the investment. But I think what they're really asking, and this was a phone call yesterday, am I on the right track? Right. Like, do I, am I able to buy that house in five years? Or is that a pipe dream that I keep thinking about, but I actually have no idea if I'm far or close? So once we start having goals that we can make real, that we can write down, I think that's when that switch goes off from, yeah, it's nice to talk about this stuff, to think about it, 
but hey, I actually need to make sure I have a plan. Um, and I think financially we can get into why that's better, but just emotionally, right? Knowing mm-hmm. anytime you know what's coming down the pipeline, whether in relationships, finance, your career, if you say, hey, I know what the next six months are going to look like, or I know the way they feel, you feel better. You're like, all right, I have a little bit more control over the situation. It's the exact same thing in our finances. Right, right. And that's funny because I do think money is such an emotional thing for people. Like it depends on how you, even how you grow up. And I mean, I feel like it's something that a lot of people hold on to and are scared. For me, for example, I'm, I was so scared to start investing because I just didn't know about it and I didn't want to mess up. So I was like, I'm just not going to do it because I'm just nervous. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking around the city and I always ask the question, why do you think most people don't achieve their financial goals? Mm-hmm. Just before we even get started, just to kind of open up the dialogue. And the number one thing I hear is they don't get started young enough. And I think that gets back to you know what you just said is a lot of times I'm meeting with people that they started three years late, five years late, just because it was so uncomfortable to talk about, to think about. I don't know about investments, so I'm just going to kind of like, do it. right, out of sight, out of mind type yeah. of thing. So I think, again, that's why the sooner you can educate yourself and at least like, you're not scared, you're comfortable, all right, I know what's going on here more or less, then you can dive dive in. I always make the analogy, so, and apologies, if I tell more than three army stories, just like kick me off okay, the air I'll or just, something, yeah. something like that, because I talk about that all the time, so that it can go all over the place. But um, to, and I was a paratrooper, and we had these marches that started out at like two kilometers, then it went to six and 12, and it ended like in, as part of our basic training, and it ended with a 70 kilometer march into Jerusalem, it took like 12 hours, it was like the most brutal 12 hours of my life, I think it's fair to say. But so many kids in our unit, and you had to try out to get into my unit, it was you know, relatively elite for what that's worth. But so many kids didn't, you know, the four kilometer march, they, after that, they, they left our unit. They said, I, I can't handle this. I don't want to do this. Now, four kilometers for a lot, for all these guys that got into this unit, it's not, it's really not that difficult. They weren't saying, I can't do this right now. In their head, they were projecting out and saying, well, if it's this hard now, how am mm-hmm. I going to be able to do the 40, the 50, the 70? And they were kind of psyching themselves out about what it took to keep going. They were projecting that future like to where they yeah. were now. And more kids dropped out in, that, in the beginning than the end. And so many times I see that in financial planning that we are, we're getting so psyched out about this investment and what if I have to make this decision, stocks, bonds, real estate, how does it all shape out? That we just say, all right, I'm not going to, I'm yeah. going to keep trying to make money. I'm going to hope it goes up and I'm going to worry about that later. So part of our role is education, really, is making sure, hey, we're going to get through this. We're going to educate exactly what everything is, what it means before we actually make a decision. And I think that just it makes it a lot easier to take that first step. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And do you believe in budgeting? Like, do you think budgeting is a huge I think everyone should budget or what are your thoughts on it? Budgeting is kind of a dirty word. I'm surprised we're even allowed to say it it on this podcast, to be honest. Uh, People don't, don't like me bringing that up. So I think. People but, were asking about it. People want to know percentages. That's of, awesome. Usually I say that word and people are heading for the hills. So, no. so I'm excited to hear that. I think, I think one, it's a personal decision. I know, you know, if you're already budgeting and it works for you, cool, awesome. You're, you know, it's working for you. You know what you're spending and you're doing it that way. I think that's great. I think budgeting can be intimidating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I can even speak to what I'm doing personally in my family. You know, instead of saying, you know, every $5 cup of coffee, here's what I'm spending here. Here's what my gym is. I want to focus on the other side. I want to flip it and say, how much do I need to be saving to achieve my goal? So if it's 2000 a month, 3000 a month, I want to make sure I'm paying myself first is how we want to think about it and then living on the rest. So we call it creating an artificial environment of economic scarcity. 
And as I'm saying it, I realize how ridiculous of just an over-the-top expression that is. <laughs> but it basically means acting like you have a lot less money to, to spend than you really do. Mm -hmm. So if we can commit to a plan that saves 10, 20, 30 percent of our income and then just put that away into whatever vehicles make sense for you and then live on the rest, it really means you don't need to budget because you know, hey, I've already saved what I need to. Now I'm comfortable living on the rest. That's how I do it. I know if you ask my dad you know, how much he spent last year, and he's financially independent, successful at this point. If you asked him how much he spent, he would have no idea. If you asked him how much he saved in 1989, he would be able to tell you to the penny. Really? And I think, so just flipping that way of thinking about it, I think it makes it more exciting, mm -hmm. right? Because, oh my God, here's how much I'm adding to my bank accounts, my savings, my Roth IRA, whatever it might be, and then living on the rest. So it's just kind of a backwards way of attacking it. And then, yes, at some point, you still need to put pen to paper and say, hey, where are all those expenses coming from? But yeah. I think reverse engineering it can work for a lot of people that are uncomfortable with the concept of budgeting. So you were saying how saving one to $3,000 a month, a lot of people, especially that are younger, don't have that amount to save. That's how much they might be like making in right. a month, let's say. Yeah. So what's a good rule of thumb of how much you should save if you aren't making a ton of money right yeah, now? Yeah, great question. And I'm glad because I didn't mean to say just, it, that's almost the opposite point I'm making because yeah. the smaller, you know, this, it doesn't matter the amount, we just want to get you saving. Yeah. So yeah, if you can do 100, 200, cool. That's what we want to start with. Um, as far as percentages, I like to say at least 25% of what we're making uh, should be going into some sort of savings. I don't mean a particular vehicle or strategy, just money that's not meant Being to be used. spent in the yeah. next year or two, let's say. And again, you know, all these workshops, sometimes somebody last week raises their hand, which is kind of bold, in front of the, all of their colleagues, like, 25%, are you crazy? And I said, cool. Yeah, That's what oh, a lot of people are probably going to be thinking that. I, mean, 100%. I, I have a lot of friends that live paycheck to paycheck and they pay their rent and then they literally don't have money. And then they, you know, they physically like cannot save right. because their rent is taking up all of their paycheck. Yeah. And especially like if, you know, our listeners are in New York or San Francisco yeah. or you know, something like that, even even more so. So. So, yeah. So 25 percent, I say, if you can't do that, how about 15? How about 10? Really, the Anything. idea is just to do a little mm -hmm. bit more. How I like and. Plenty of people, you know, I meet with, I know, are 100% in that boat. Um, and especially the younger you are, of course, you know, the earlier you get, you're going to have more opportunities to save. It's about developing those habits. But one thing we, I always like to say in a workshop or one-on-one -on -one is, you know, think about if rent's taking up a big part of your paycheck, right? If I came to your apartment and said, you know, first of every month and said, hey, I need 300 bucks a month extra right in my hand right now to, for whatever I want, and you can stay in your apartment. Mm -hmm. right? And if you're not able to pay me the first of every month, then I'm kicking you out. Would you move? And yeah. again, just everybody to really think about, you know, would you be able to come up with that 300 bucks if it were a priority that you said, hey, I need that to stay in my apartment? Some people say, no, I would move that second. I, I don't have that. Yeah. And we'd say, all right, what about 100? What about 50? And again, it's just trying to rearrange priorities a little bit that if we spend, if we just prioritized a little bit more saving for the future, mm -hmm. which I realize, you know, especially for a 22 year old at a school is a ridiculous, you know, is ridiculous. Yeah. This is the time we should be spending and living life. So it's absolutely a balance. I'm not, you know, I'm not a financial advisor getting on to saying you should be eating, you know, cup of noodle every night and putting yeah. every dollar away. That's ridiculous. We need to live. But just a little bit of that flipping yeah, mentality, yeah. I think, can go a long way. Yeah, no, I agree. And for rent, I want to talk about that for one second. Is 20 to 30 percent a good rule worst, of right? rent is the worst. It's yeah, just, just throwing away money. I'm renting. It drives me, <laughs> drives me crazy. I could go on a whole thing about that. But Next time on the podcast, please, yeah, we'll just yeah, talk yeah. about that. Nothing but that. But what's a good percentage of your income do you think is comfortable to pay for rent? So I've read online 20 to 30 percent. So that's kind of what I've stuck to. I try not to go over 20 percent of my monthly income on rent. Um, but what do you think is like a good rule of thumb? Right, are you ready for a really like good cop-out answer? 
It depends. It depends. <laughs> so, no, I, I wouldn't say it depends. I mean, uh, 20 to 30, that sounds reasonable to me. But we all make choices about what we prioritize, right? So I have people that, you know, uh, a client that their rent is probably more than it should be. But we really like our apartment. We've been there for 10 years. Like, that's really important to us to be comfortable in our living space. But we don't really, you know, we don't eat out a lot. We're not, enter okay, yeah. we're not entertaining. So I really, you know, we want to figure out, is rent the most important thing to you? And then the flip side is if you're somebody that's saying, hey, I want to be able to travel for a month every summer. I want to be able to go two weeks in the winter. I, w I want to be doing all these adventurous travel stuff. Well, that's going to cost money. So, yeah, maybe your rent, instead of 20 or 30%, if we can get it a little bit under, maybe where your income would dictate it should be, but it allows you to do those other things. So 20 to 30%, I agree. I think that makes sense. But I think it just depends on you know, yeah. how big a priority your living space is to you. That's actually good to know because I do think, especially on the internet, people have a lot of opinions on what you how much you should be spending money on this or like oh you're eating out too much like you need to slow down and i just feel like yeah i mean it's your it's not your life that you're I watching I, or i think it's ridiculous when anybody says like any definitive rule in finance i just you know i take with a grain of salt of like everybody should be doing this everybody yeah. should be investing this way or setting it you know setting this up or spending on this because we all have different priorities not all of us are trying to do the same things you know a single person that's 40 is going to have a totally different set of financial goals and what they need than a married 27 year old couple that are planning to have five kids yeah right and like any article that's talking about you should be spent spending less on going out well maybe that's like the highlight of you know you love getting yeah. to go out and socialize and that's how you live your life cool we're not saying we would say all right we're not going to not do that we just need to figure out how to make that work so you can do that maybe cutting elsewhere figuring out you know prioritizing in a different way yeah no i like that rule of thumb way better <laughs> let's go, yeah let's go with that <laughs> so do you with that do you think everyone should have a financial advisor or do you think you have to be making a certain amount to have a financial advisor so i mean my easy answer could just be like yes 100 yeah. percent of 100 people but no i think you know i think it really depends if you have the energy the time the inclination you know every you could be your own advisor right everybody could cut their own hair mow their own lawn do, do yeah. their own taxes um, so 100%. Some people just, you know, they're wired. They want to do everything themselves. Mm -hmm. More power to you. I, you know, I absolutely think there are some people that it, it just makes sense. But when I look at my own world and the financially successful independent people that I look up to, right, mm -hmm. that are a little bit later in life, typically they're not doing, you know, they're really good at what they know how to do and what they specialize in. And they hire really smart people that they can trust to do everything else, whether that's financial planning or tax planning or having an attorney or even simple things like, like I said, getting your haircut. I always make the joke, and my dad's not in here right now, so it feels a little <laughs> like I'm taking a cheap shot. But really, he doesn't need a barber at this point. You know, he's a yeah. little light, light on top. He could probably be doing it himself. But why? You know, to pay to have an expert take care of the stuff that we don't want to deal with, mm -hmm. um, I think it's a good thing. I had last week, 37-year-old couple. He's literally an investment banker. And, you know, he knows as much about finance as everyone else. But he said, I've been kind of doing it for the last decade. I know I'm making some I know I'm making good money. I know I'm saving, but like I don't want to do this anymore. Like I have enough things going on. My house is crazy. Like if I can push it off to somebody yeah. that I know, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and I trust them, which is the most important piece, yeah. then cool. Like more power to you. I can focus on my family and the things I'm passionate about. So again, maybe that's kind of a cop out answer, but I do think there's value in having a professional, whether it's financial planning or anything else. Um, and everybody can take that <laughs> with a grain of salt yeah. being that I am a planner yeah. um, and I'm fully cognizant of that. But yeah, I think it's a personal decision that if you want to make sure you're specializing in what you do. Yeah. And do you think you have to be making a certain amount or anyone can start once they start working? I mean, I think the more money you're making and planning with, the easier it is to just do some higher level planning. I think part of why I wrote the book about Henry's and why I'm focused on the younger generation is because mm -hmm. not so many advisors, 
you know, a lot of people, a lot of people that call me right off the bat, like from Google, their first question is, what's your minimum? Yeah, yeah. Right, because like they're almost, intim- it's, so it's like the flip is not when do they need, it's when do they feel comfortable that somebody wants to work with them? Because so many advisors do have, you know, if under a million bucks and, you know, yeah. then like call, you know, call the 1-800 number or whatever it might be, <laughs> which I think is ridiculous. And again, we're in a fortunate position as three generations that I can focus on people that are starting out and building for the next 20, 30 years in the same way that I am. So so I think it's full, you know, you want to make sure you're comfortable with somebody even when you're just getting started if there's not much to do. But I would say education, again, I always get back to education is power. You need, you know, somebody needs to make that decision. Do I actually want a financial planner as an income, you know, like a rule of thumb? I try not to give like specific numbers because I really do think it's unique to what's going on. Um, I would say as you're getting, you know, six figures and and above it, it there's absolutely some planning and just opportunities that you can take advantage of um, that might be a little unique. But again, there's examples of, you know, I have plenty of clients that are making less that are just rock stars in terms of how they save and plan Mm -hmm. and how diligent they are. So really, I think it focuses more on your goals and what you're motivated to do. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And now let's talk about investing because I got so many questions on that. So how do you know when the right time is to invest? That was such a popular question. So I'm really, really happy the first question wasn't, should I invest in Bitcoin? Oh, oh, okay. You'd be surprised how many times like I can go through like a 45 minute presentation on investing and planning and here's every the timing and how you should be doing. And I see a hand raise. I'm like, oh, my God, I know it's coming. <laughs> so what do you think about Bitcoin? And I just want to be like, have you heard like the last hour of my presentation about planning and knowing what we're investing in anyway? So I'm glad. I, so wait, what are your thoughts on <laughs> I Bitcoin? Right, I just set myself up, up for that. Uh, but I wasn't going to ask. Yeah, but, but I, mean, I brought it up. Yeah, of course, that's on me. So, I mean, just real quick, I, I don't want to get involved in anything I don't fully understand that's regulated, that, you know, we know exactly what it's going to be and that has a historical track record. I just think that's a good way, like a good rule of thumb to live by. So I think about Bitcoin the same way I do about investing in any one company or, quite frankly, if, you know, betting on the Knicks to win the championship, right, is we want to have a plan that we're committed, that we know has a historical track record that you're going to grow mm-hmm. slowly, but grow over time. Because again, investing should be like watching paint dry, yep. but it shouldn't be like an overnight sensation. So we want a plan that's going to be slow and steady over time. And then if you have extra money on the side, that if it went to a billion dollars, awesome, we're all sitting pretty. And if it you know, was destroyed tomorrow and you had zero dollars, it doesn't ar- affect the rest of your planning. You're still going to be in good shape. Mm-hmm. That's how I would think about things like that, that are a lot more risky and volatile over the short term. Okay, good to know. But, but we, now, can, we can get back now. into the original investing question. <laughs> that was a commercial break. <laughs> yeah, commer- no. <laughs> All right, please, yeah, please, you can have that as a commercial break. That <laughs> no, so when is the best time to invest? Yesterday. Okay, yes. right away. So so do you mean from the standpoint of like what time of the year or when we're trying to get in no, or like what I point in somebody's life? What point in someone's life? Really, I always get back to the younger we start, the more power we have, you know, compound you know, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And the younger it start, we start, the better off we're going to be. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, as a real quick example, if you have $100 and let's mm-hmm. say you make 10% and I'm just using 10% because it's an easy number for me to do math on the yep. fly. Um, that's not like a guarantee or anything like that, but you make 10%. Well, next year you have $110, right? The way compounding interest works, if you make that same 10% year two, you're not, get, you're not making that same $10. You're making more like 12, 13 because you're getting interest on the interest you've already accumulated. Right. And right. if I've lost half the people right now, <laughs> it's just a nice way of saying that the younger we are, we have more time for our money to work on our behalf when we're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So really, as soon as you're able to save money, you know, we want to be investing. As far as, again, we, I always get back to we have our bucketing system of how we should be saving money. And we try to keep it really simple. 
now, later, and last. So our first priority in terms of when we should be investing is we always want to have a now bucket. We talked about it a little bit earlier, three to six months of living expenses, Mm -hmm. cash in the bank, money that you can access if you want to run over to Citibank or Chase and take it out. You know it's there. It's not volatile or any risk in the market. You know it's there. I would say once we have that established, that's when we really want to focus more on that long-term investing in our later buckets. Got it. Yeah. No, I mean, that all make, everyone I've talked to is like, yeah, start as early as possible. So it makes sense. It's just one of those things, again, where it's like people are scared well, to do people it. People are scared and they don't know what to do. Yeah. So any, bit of, any little bit, I think, does matter. And you just want to have an idea of you know, why you own what you own in any, and, in any part of investment. And what's your advice on the stock market or stocks or bonds, um, leaving money, like leave the money in the stock market, pull it out when things get bad? What do you think about that? So, all right. So we're going to go on a whole, uh, yeah. whole thing here. So in the short term, stop, you know, whenever I start this conversation, I always want to explain the difference between volatility and risk. People right? should be taking notes while taking, listening. Taking notes. There will be a quiz at the end. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we're going to test you, given that this is a podcast. We don't know who you are, but we'll, we're going to find a way. Um, but the difference between volatility and risk when it comes to our financial world. So stocks are incredibly volatile over the short term meaning they're going to go up and down a billion times depending on what's going on in China and what Trump is tweeting. And literally, it could be based on anything we don't know. But so stocks are going to go up and down a lot over the short term. In fact, in an average year, they go like their high to low averages a 14% swing. Okay. All right. Meaning that they're in one calendar year, they go up. Their highest point to lowest is 14%. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. Things yeah. are going to move around a lot. But over time, over any 20-year period in history, the stock market does about 6 to 8%. That's like an average, an annual average, meaning things go up way more than they go down in the stock market. If you own the stock market, every single 15-year period in history has been up, meaning if you were to say January 1, 1980 to January 1, 1995, stock market was up. And that holds true for every 15-year period that we have. So again, it really boils down to are we investing for the short term or the long term in terms of stocks versus bonds and volatility versus risk? Because if we're investing, if you came to me and said, hey, I want to buy a house in the next six months, what should I own? I would say, we want your money in the bank. You should mm-hmm. not be taking any risk because the stock market could lose 30% next week. Yeah. And that short-term volatility, well, that becomes a real risk if we actually need to take that money out sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. So that money should be more conservative. But if you're saying, hey, I'm investing for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, well, then we can be long, more long-term focused and generate those higher long-term returns that the stock market averages. Because over time, stock market outperforms bonds. So again, it all comes back to having an understanding of our time horizon. What's a stock over a bond for people who really don't know? So a stock is when, basically, real high level, a stock is when you own, you own a piece of a company. So if you have one share of Apple, let's say, and I'm totally making up the numbers because I haven't <laughs> looked at it today, that if you own a share of Apple, it means if that company goes up to a trillion dollars, well, your little stake, your ownership piece, sky's the limit, right? You can make mm-hmm. as much as possible. And if it goes down 80%, well, you own a share of Apple, your share is going to go down 80%, right? So there's a lot more volatility, but you have more upside long-term. Bonds are basically you're giving a loan to that company, right? So if you have a bond in Apple, you basically, you loan money to Apple, Mm -hmm. let's say expecting to get paid back in about 10 years time with a little bit of interest paid along the way. So no matter what happens in the company, you're going to get back the same amount you put in. So whether it goes up to a trillion dollars or not, you're getting your money back. So that's why it's a lot more conservative. And that's why bonds are also known as fixed income, because it's a fixed interest rate. We know what we're getting. Again, it can change. 
but it's in the ballpark. It's a lot less volatile than stocks. And I just want to issue like one, not a corollary, but just in, as far as stocks. So when I say the stock market goes up on average anywhere from six to eight, nine percent annually, I mean the in that like the stock market as a whole. So mm-hmm. I'm using the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies in America. A lot of times when people say, hey, the, you hear the market's up 20 percent today or down 20% today, they're talking about the S&P because it's a good gauge, it's a good average of how the U.S. economy is doing. Investing in any one company is a lot more volatile than that because like anything else, one company, you know, we know what can happen. It can disappear, it can jump through the roof. So, you know, we want to focus more on that index on being diversified again. And I know that was kind of a tangent, but I didn't want anybody to misconstrue what I said uh, earlier on about owning the stock market. And would you say then the best time is to buy when things are lower because if it's always going to go up? I would say the best time to invest is when you can. Okay, so it doesn't matter. Like that, like kind of a backdoor, yeah. backdoor answer. But, <laughs> but I mean, the way we think about it, four out of every five years in the stock market are up, okay. historically speaking. So, and nobody knows when that time is coming, right? We're all, you know, trying to... For a decade now, people are saying the next market correction is coming, the next market correction is coming. Mm-hmm. The last few years, the amount of people that said, hey, I want to wait to get in the market because I want to, you know, I'm going to wait for that next crash to come and then I'm going to invest, which is great in principle, but we found very few people, in fact, pretty much nobody is able to actually time that. So all that time you're waiting to wait to invest in the market because you know that next down market is coming. Mm-hmm. You know, last year the market was up 28% and change. So you miss that whole upside waiting for the next downturn. So we, try, we don't want to get involved with trying to time the market. When is it going to be up? When is it going to be bad? We want to know over time things go up more than it goes down. And the more time in the market versus trying to time the market is a recipe for success because nobody can accurately predict when that's going to happen. Okay, got it. And now a lot of people are also confused with Roth IRAs, 401ks, setting up for retirement. Quick, what are the differences between those two and what should younger people be? Yeah, tax planning is the best, right? Yeah, they just make things uh, (laughs) as complicated as humanly possible for everybody to understand. But so, as far as Roth, so let's say pre tax versus post tax, or what a Roth IRA, Roth 401k is after tax or tax advantaged dollars. So, keeping it real high level, pre tax means if you made $100 this year and $10 you're putting into your pre tax 401k it means you're only being taxed this year on $90 of income, mm-hmm. right? That 10 went away before you were taxed. But when you that $10 grows over the next 10, 20, 30 years before you're ready to take it out, every dollar of that is taxable. So mm-hmm. if that $10 grows to $1,000 over 30 years, well, then you're going to be paying taxes at ordinary income rates. So you may actually only get 60, 70% of that when it's all said and done. Right. So that's pre-tax. You're saving money in taxes now, but you know, Uncle Sam wants his fill later on, including on the growth portion. Mm-hmm. Whereas a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, you don't get that deduction now. So that same $100, you're only, you're paying taxes now on that full 100. But when you take it out down the road, let's say it's that same thousand, all of that is tax-free, assuming you follow the government's rules and, and all that, that you waited until you were 59 and a half. So we're really not saying one is better than the other. I think it's absolutely worth a conversation of which you should be doing. Um, we want to diversify from a tax standpoint, just just in the same way we would investments. But I think for a young person that has a lot of time for their money to grow, mm-hmm. a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k might make a lot of sense yeah. because that growth doesn't get become taxed. Right. How many people's eyes are, I think, like, rolling I know. over? Oh, with, like, no one's tax, listening at this point. Tax, <laughs> tax, let's get, yeah, maybe I need to spice it up a little bit. Right. 
Tax planning is important, but it's definitely not the most fun. Topic. I had to honestly. It, people were asking. People want to know because people I don't think it's know. something that all this stuff. You know, part of why I do so many educational events is we really don't learn any of this stuff in school. No, none. Like none. You, to graduate high school, you literally had to have known at some point you had to master what a sine curve, cosine, and tangent. Mm-hmm. None of I would imagine for multiple years, like multiple, all four, right, yeah. like all four years of high school. <laughs> that's something that's coming on, and how I. Please, somebody reach back out to us if that's come up in your life in the last few years. I can't even imagine. I know. Unless you're a math teacher, in which case, yeah, I'm glad you know that. Um, But for everyone else, the fact that we don't know, like, how to write a check or how to balance Mm -hmm. a mortgage or even that stock bonds, like, you would be surprised that stock bonds, what I just did, how many times I literally have that exact conversation with a 30-year-old couple that are making six figures each with, that are crushing it in their lives, but this never came up. So, so yeah, in the Roth IRA, like, all that stuff, if... If we're not learning how to do a mortgage or a checkbook or stocks and bonds, we're definitely not learning tax strategizing yeah, in high school or college. So. Definitely. It's something I feel like all high schoolers should take a financial course on all of this stuff because it's so important. Personal finance in college, like that should be that should, be, should a prere- be required prerequisite. Like, for every major. Yeah. I will take a science class at some point. Mm-hmm. Oh, cho- yeah. I have to take science, history, take? all of those. What did you take for science? Well, I was in engineering, so I had to take a lot of different science. Like it was more. Oh, okay, fair. Right, so probably I'm glad that you that you took some science courses. Yeah, but am I? It's really relevant right, it's to not my podcast. Now, but at the time, if you had gotten into engineering, I would have been you know happy to know that you. Uh, I use it all the time on YouTube. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a lot of people, once they start making money, start thinking that they can like spend a lot more money. They can go buy designer things and drive nice cars and get a big nice apartment just instantly as they start making more money. So right. that's lifestyle creep, and I know me and you have talked about that. Yeah, absolutely. So what is lifestyle creep, and why? Should you avoid it or how do you avoid how to, it? Yeah. How to avoid so, it, I guess, is better. Life, lifestyle creep is this idea that pretty much what you said, yeah. as you're making more money, you just start spending more. But I think kind of like what separates lifestyle creep from other things is it's not so much a conscientious decision, right? It's not like you and your family going out and saying, hey, I'm now going to spend more money on this, on that. It's just sort of you get accustomed to making more and you get comfortable. You see more money in your checking mm-hmm. account. And just over time, you're spending a little bit more, a little bit more until one day you wake up and oh my God, I'm spending 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 a month. And like, I have no idea how this came about. We just did a budget sheet with this couple. You can imagine, (laughs) they literally, when we went through the budgeting, they're like, holy, I I can't believe, they literally had no idea. They knew they were spending money, but to see it actually laid out in that number, they're both doctors, they're doing real well. But yeah, it just kind of astounded them. So I think it can creep up on us, hence the term. Um, I have to just get it in. So Talladega Nights, one of my family's all-time favorite movies. And um, for anybody that's seen it, there's a scene where Ricky Bobby, NASCAR drivers, he's becomes an instant celebrity. He's not the smartest sh- uh, attack on the board, we can say. And as he's being interviewed, his hands just keep rising, like to an uncomfortable point yeah. <laughs> where they're just like above his head, like above his head as he's talking to the interviewer. Interview interviewer keeps pushing it down because it just it looks bizarre and it's yeah. awkward. And they just keep rising and they like go through this three or four times. And that's kind of what I equate in my book. I equate lifestyle creep because again, it's not something that we're deciding to spend more money. I think. Deciding to spend more money is a separate thing. Yeah, absolutely. You're making more money. You should be you know, going on vacations and living a more comfortable life. You know, at the end of the day, what are we all working for mm-hmm. is to enjoy our life. But we want to make sure that it's not getting out of bounds. So ways to avoid that is getting, you know, it's kind of back to that paying yourself first. That if we're con- committing to the same percentage, whether it's 15, 20 percent, 25, whatever it might be, well, that same percentage is going to stay as our income goes up. So yeah. if we're setting up a system and we call it our wealth creation account or wealth creation system where we know we're saving 5000 a month into it or 500 a month, let's yep. say. Well, next year when, we, when we're when we reviewing how much you're saving and what that looks like, we're going to say, hey, your income just went up by 
X amount by 20%, we want to make sure we're getting close to that 20% that you're being saved, that's being saved automatically. So it allows us to kind of prevent that, jump the gun and make sure that we're taking care of that before it bites you in the butt. Yeah. I mean, I am such a believer in writing out all my expenses and on a budget. So I don't budget in the sense where it's like, I only have this amount for food. I only have this amount for shopping or this amount for that. But I like manually writing everything down with the amount so that I can just see how much I'm spending. And it surprises me every month. I'm like, really? Like, how did this add up? And I even at the end of the month, I'll sort it from like most expensive to least expensive. Okay. And it's not even like I'm spending large amounts. Like I'm not spending $500 on one item or anything like that. It's just like all the little things that add up every single day that people don't realize. Like, and I'm sure that was super helpful, like moving from North Carolina yeah. to New York, just because every, like like that type of life change, yeah, you want to, like when you're starting that, you want to say, hey, how is life different? What do I need to change? What has changed? And I think that's yeah. just, that's a really yeah. awesome exercise that you went yeah. through. Yeah, so it just keeps me more mindful of when I'm spending money, like, okay, do I need this? Like right. the $10, $10 on the Uber, that's a little extra, but I could walk for 10 minutes longer, like, yeah, $10, I'm not going to go broke over that. But that $10, if I do it every single day or every week or every whatever it is, like adds up. And I think even, like, even the fact that you're so conscious about it and that you're making that decision, just over time, you're going to end up spending less because you're aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know what you're spending. I always get back to uh, shame. I'm much better about shamelessly plugging my sister than, okay. I, than I am for mine. <laughs> but she's a personal fitness trainer out in Philadelphia. She's awesome. Trucker Fitness. Yeah. Uh, Trucker Fitness. <laughs> I'll Truck, have her in those Trucker, show notes. <laughs> yeah, Trucker Fitness, Trucker Wealth. We, we might just join forces at some point. Um, funny story about actually we did an event together for, for later. But she kind of grew up in that same mentality, obviously, that I did. Exact same thing. She never wanted to go into the finance world. You know, fitness and, you know, really like girl empowerment and using fitness in your body to like become more confident was always something Mm -hmm. she was really passionate about. But she grew up with that same mindset that you're talking about of saving and being disciplined that she saves more than any of my other clients. I mean, that's a given we have the same parents. Yeah. But it's those little choices that add up of making coffee, Mm -hmm. you know, in the apartment as as opposed to, you know, buying every day. And again, I, I put in my book when I talk about my sister, none of the things that she does, they're not they're not the reason she's going to be rich or broke. It's not a big deal in you know yeah. one by one but it allows her to just be a little bit more aware and it allows her to guilt free go on vacations with her friends when she wants to have fun or like when she's going to the bar and not be what it just you get to prioritize what's important to you and what's not and i think just having a habit like that means that you can balance the two because i think the worst thing somebody in my position can say is you should be saving every single dollar and never living your life right. or like just talking to clients and not acknowledging that hey i'm like personally i'm 28 of course i want to be traveling i want to be going out i want to be doing all this stuff so I think the more you're aware of it, the more it's easy to strike that balance. Right. And last question before we go, what's your best advice for someone who wants to be educated in all of this, wants to start? How can they just become educated if they don't know? Like they're not in school, they're just 21 years old or 22 years old. Yeah, I think there are a lot of great books out there to get started. You know, I think there's a lot of craziness on the Internet, but I just mm-hmm. think high level, they're, they're good stuff as far as you know, educational tools. Um, I might as, You're asking me, so I might as well say my book's coming out. Um, soon it'll be out at this point. And it's really an intro. You know, it's not meant for the 45-year-old that knows, you know, exactly their tax situation and what, you know, what mm-hmm. they need to change and all that. It's more of that intro to get started. Um, as part of my book, I have a few other, like, advisors and authors that I looked up to you know, when I was getting started. Um, I'll plug Nick Murray, Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. As far as investing in the stock market, just everything I'm saying right now, I basically took from him. Um, and I think that's just a really good intro book to get started. 
But I think, you know, the more you can listen, the more you can educate yourself, things like, you know, your podcast, whether it's about personal planning or otherwise, mm -hmm. is really incredible. And um, the more just like getting engaged and yeah. over time, the more you educate, you, you realize when you're seeing stuff, hey, this sounds right or not so much. Yeah. But it's about taking that first step. Awesome. Well, now plug yourself. So your book, do you have social media that you want yeah, people so to first follow? First, I'm going to plug you, actually, because I've been doing some speaking like on a different on a, like radio shows and a few different things. And when I told my whole team that I was coming on your podcast, they all immediately like found you on Instagram, started <laughs> listening to your podcast. And I think a little bit less work is being done at Drucker Wealth over the past week because I see people listening to your podcast. Oh, that's so Bridget, embarrassing. Who's watching here? It's like, wow, she did a solo one recently about her business and consulting. She's like, and I got a lot of good stuff out that's of it. I'm like, you're so not even funny. in that business. How much did you get out of it? Um, but she really did. And every, everybody is... So, um, so we, yeah, we might need to say. You just right, hear my voice in the yeah, office. Yeah, <laughs> Natalie's podcast might need to be like an after five PM type of thing. Oh no! But um, <laughs> but yeah, incredible stuff. And and I, you know, and listening to a few myself, just the value that you're providing all these Thank listeners you. is Thanks. a cool thing. So I, I wanted to get that out in uh in the early. So um, yeah, so my book's coming out, and uh, it'll be out how to avoid Henry syndrome. And actually, a hundred percent of the pro proceeds are going to Folds of Honor, which cool. is um, it's a charity that supports and sends to college educational purposes. Uh, the families and children of American um, veterans that lost their lives or were disabled, you know, fighting for our country um, overseas. And, uh, and I just think it's an incredible thing. It really supports these families. I can't imagine a better legacy for these, you know, these people that are no longer with us to know that their families you know, are being taken care of. Yeah. And it just kind of goes to our whole mentality of education is power. And we believe that all the way through. So, um, so everything goes to Folds of Honor. Check them out on your own. I think that's a cool charity. That's amazing. I didn't um, know that. My Instagram is... Uh, DWM Gideon's Corner. It's kind of like a personal business combination, but uh, a lot more business than personal. So, um, so that's out there. And yeah, we're, we're always look. You have questions. You want to call in. You know, we talk about this stuff every day. We know people are looking to get started. They want to take that first jump. And a big part of what we do is education. Quite awesome. frankly, because if people don't want to be educated, they're not going to want to plan. So, yeah. so that's kind of my uh, my first you know, the way to get started on, on any of this stuff. Great. Well, I'm. It's very excited for this episode. I want to have this one go up like immediately. Awesome. Yeah. This, so this thank you. That out too. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for having us. I hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you guys learned anything, be sure to let me know. Let me know if you guys found it helpful and let me know what other episodes you guys want to see or who else you want to have on. If you want to have more episodes like this, that would be really useful feedback from you guys. So you guys can let me know on the Facebook page. I definitely want to have a discussion on there. But thank you guys again for watching or not watching. Thank you guys again for listening to today's podcast. And I'll see you guys next Monday on another episode of The Real Real Podcast. Thank you so much to Ziamo for sponsoring today's podcast episode. Be sure to use code BARBU50 at checkout for 50% off day passes no matter where you're located to gyms in your area. That's BARBU50 at checkout. I'll have it also in the show notes, but be sure to not miss out on this amazing deal. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the Mom Room Podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood. 
Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.